1: Movie by movie and television series by television series hurtle through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're taking a look at Iron Man 3, released in April 2013, when, if you preferred, you could have gone to see Ken Loach's launch campaign for the new left-wing party Left Unity, Martin Scorsese's Street of Dreams Dolce & Gabbana advert, or Jennifer Aniston in The the Millers instead. I'm Tim Worthington, and here's what I had to say about Iron Man 3 when I live tweeted my Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch. Good but feels weirdly standalone in a way that the others don't. Maybe the phase change course behind the scenes. Harley is a decent twist, though, and amid their rescue is thrilling. Also, feel 65! That's what I had to say about it, though. And joining me to give his thoughts on Iron Man 3 is podcaster Phil Catterall. Phil, where can people find you? You
0: can find me on Twitter at Phil5000, podcasting at Don't Let's Chart, also on Twitter at Don't Let's Chart. It's about it, really.
1: OK, so before we go any further, Phil, what happens in Iron Man
0: 3? Right. Following the events of Avengers Assemble slash the Avengers, delete as applicable, Tony Stark is suffering from some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder, which he's trying to get through by building as many Iron Man suits as he can and you know, improving them over and over again. While this is going going on, a terrorist called the Mandarin has appeared, who is blowing things up and generally being terrible. There's so many plot threads going on at once, I'm trying to work out which order to take everything in here. So while all that's going on, there's also a guy called Aldrich Killian, who is trying to get Stark involved in some biological engineering project, I think is the best way of describing it. He's not interested in it because, well, he's trying to get Pepper involved. Sorry, Stark Industries through Pepper, who is now CEO of Stark Industries. God, I'm really struggling with this. (laughs) I literally watched this yesterday and I know what happens in it, but putting it all in order is complicated. Tony Stark declares he's going to go after the Mandarin. The Mandarin then blows up his house. He manages to get in one of his suits and then disappears off somewhere in the Midwest, I think. And Pepper is kidnapped by what we assume is the Mandarin, but turns out later to be Killian, because Killian's behind the Mandarin, who isn't really the Mandarin. He is, in fact, a British actor. And Tim, tell me if this is just me. Is this film too many things going on at once? Really,
1: really is. I mean, you haven't even touched on at least two of the most obvious things in it, but I think we'll probably save them for when we're talking about it. Yeah,
0: I know. I'm, I'm really sorry. I know it's nice to get a nice plot summary at the start of this, but there's so many plot threads happening at the same time, and yeah, sorry. <laughs>
1: this point I would normally ask what you knew about Iron Man before seeing this film but we've already done that when you appeared to talk about the first Iron Man film and when we finished recording that you said to me very pointedly I'll come back and do Iron Man 3 because nobody else will want to do it. Yep. And I kind of like, ignored the idea, but then <laughs> you were right. It's the one that nobody claimed. And I had to say to you, would you like to do it? Because I think it would be quite funny yeah. to revisit it from that perspective. Because it's not a bad film. It's a film that's very difficult to talk about in less than 18,000 sub clauses.
0: Yes, definitely. There's so many things. I've not even talked about the fact that it opens with a flashback to 1999, which is where your Eiffel 6 comment in the summary comes from at some party in switzerland so to sort of rewind a bit i do quite like this film there's a lot in it that i enjoy but god it feels like a mess considering it's two hours and ten minutes long like half of the cast seem like pushed to one side there's you know pepper's in it and is important but he's really not on screen that much throughout it happy is laid up in hospital for a significant yeah, he's watching call. The midwife. No, no, he's watching um, Downton Abbey.
1: Oh, Downton Abbey! Yes. <laughs> How did I get those two things confused? I have no
0: idea. <laughs> I came at this from the perspective of, oh, it's got Extremis in Maybe that's you know, we talked briefly about the extremist comic arc by Warren Ellis and Adi Granov in the last episode I was on, and this extremist is like in here, and there's bits of that in here, but they have kind of turned it around and made it kind of a mess. It seemed like Shane Black was more interested in snappy dialogue than he was in something that made sense, frankly. I mean,
1: that is a really good point. We've touched on it already, but there's three pretty major strands going on at once, is it? Because actually, there's the loose adaptation of the Extremis comics. Yes. There's the Mandarin, who is a long-standing antagonist of Iron Man, yep. who could fill a whole movie by, well, we say himself, but it's all still quite mysterious who the Mandarin actually is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there's also Iron Patriot, which is how War Machine is briefly rebranded. And Iron Patriot was it a 90s creation, but it was basically a kind of knockoff Iron Man, which was developed by an organisation called Hammer, who stood in for S.H.I.E.L.D., but were more zealous and gunko.
0: So I think you're more mid-2000s on that than 90s. And it was when Norman Osborn somehow ended up running... Well, first of all, he was running the Thunderbolts. Then he ended up president. I didn't, I think. (laughs) <laughs> and and formed Hammer instead of Shield. Hammer didn't stand for anything, he just thought it was funny that it was called yes. Hammer instead of Shield because he was basically insane at that point.
1: And Iron Patriot basically just existed to be smacked about by other characters, even to the extent of I think Iron Patriot was beaten by Squirrel Girl once. Which
0: if you don't know Squirrel Girl, that's basically like Walter the Softy beating you. Now him now, 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 canonically canonically Squirrel Girl has defeated Thanos. So don't yes, don't no. don't even that is Stop.
1: true, <laughs> yeah. but that more underlines the fact that Iron Patriot was kind of a bit of a joke. But even so, mm. that is a third film-filling plot point. When you think, basically, the second one was almost all about War Machine, technically, and you've got these three massive things going on, and they don't quite sit together.
0: No, they—they they really. I mean, they—they they do and they don't. The extremists and Mandarin stuff that absolutely goes. That's definitely there. But yeah, as you said, the Iron Patriot stuff sort of barely sits alongside it. It's kind of...
1: And there's also, on top of all that, it's set at Christmas as well.
0: Yeah, (laughs) but I mean, the only reason you know it's set at Christmas is not because of anything, like, in the film. It's just that occasionally Christmas is mentioned. It's not like in Die Hard, where it's like, it's a Christmas party and there's Christmas songs on the radio and all this sort of stuff. There is barely any Christmas in this film, other than occasionally them telling you that it's Christmas.
1: And when he drags this suit through the snow like a sleigh.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, okay, fine, I'll give you that, I'll give you that. But yeah, they just tell you it's Christmas rather than it being Christmas. (laughs)
1: On top of even that think in this to do with the Mandarin is really very informed by the whole Bin Laden situation. And I think whereas the first Iron Man film kind of played on the start of all that, you know, the war in Afghanistan and so on, mm-hmm. did it very subtly as a really effective comment. This goes way too far. Yes. It's just well over the top. Also what really bothered me is the Mandarin does addresses which kind of break into all broadcast media. Mm-hmm. It was obviously inspired by the fact that Bin Laden's videotapes will be mailed to sort of sympathetic Yeah. television stations and they don't look convincing as a broadcast intrusion they look like somebody trying to do i'm hoping most people listening will have seen this the max headroom broadcast intrusion in the 80s where somebody broke into i think it was firstly it was a baseball game wasn't it yeah then doctor who later on with the max headroom mask on but that is terrifying yeah and it's really low res as well which makes it even worse and this just isn't they just don't get that right and that kind of
0: jars for me. No, I agree. It doesn't. It's one of those things where in TV shows and things, someone breaking into all broadcast media is a thing that can happen, and it really isn't a thing that <laughs> that like how would you how would you even start on that level of complexity? When you find out later on that the person that's doing it is Aldrich Killian, played by Guy Pearce, who has no expertise in this area whatsoever. Who's he hired to do this? How many people has he got doing this? Because you'd need literally thousands of people to do just that broadcast intrusion stuff, never mind anything else that, that AIM gets up to. But also,
1: going low-tech was a way of staying under the radar in a way that you know, yeah, digitally hijacking every signal going isn't. I mean, it just reminded me of that. Do you remember Frank Skinner had that song in the mid-2000s where it was kind of a spoof George Formby thing about the hunt for Bin Laden? And there's a bit where said, if he's doing so well, then you tell me, why a videotape, not a DVD? <laughs> <laughs> Which you know in itself is incredibly dated, but that was the whole thing: was people were going low tech in a high tech age. Yeah, and I don't like using the word thriving, but that's what was happening.
0: Well, yeah, kind of. It, it's you know, it, it took a significant amount of effort for him to be tracked down and dealt with. Unlike this, where Tony started basically just says to the Mandarin, "Here's my address. Come and have a fight with me." Yeah who then blows up his house. It doesn't really work (laughs) quite how he intended. But yeah, in in terms of like taking down the Mandarin, he just, just shows up at his house. He just turns up with no, you know, we're, we're on, we're sort of jumping around all over the place. But, but the bit where he goes and just turns up at the Mandarin's compound and deals with him with a bunch of improvised weapons. I like that because that's doing the two things of Tony Stark getting over his need to have a suit that's causing him panic attacks and everything. And it's also reminding everyone that, no, he just he makes stuff. That's what he does. He makes the things. And the things in this case are like a nail gun and a taser so he didn't make those he bought those but you know what I mean it's a series of improvised weapons rather than stuff that he built in his garage well speaking about in a garage, there's the really odd interlude
1: in this that I think really works. Well, as you say, he gets stranded in Tennessee, but he hides out in the garage with a kid called Harley. Yes. Who's a bit of a bit of a techie geek, mm. but not a stereotypical one, who helps him rebuild the suit. And I think it really works. The relationship between them really works. But it didn't really pay off when he turns up and, without giving too much away at a key scene and engage. Yeah. And I think the general reaction was, because, you know, that he'd grown up a bit since then and people say, who's that Stuart Lee?
0: i was gonna say it's been eight years in this he's about what 11 12 so the difference between someone at 12 and someone at 20 is so massive that i I was one of the many people going who's that who's that person standing there (laughs) basically marvel's
1: iron man 3 armor up with sonic blasting iron man powering up hasbro's biggest electronic iron man with a motorised missile launcher. Sonic blasting Iron Man. Batteries not included. Armour up. But it's kind of foreshadowing the relationship he has with Peter Parker in the Spider-Man film. Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of stuff that foreshadows the later films. So the fact, you know, he has his... I checked which suits are in this film and the Iron Legion consists of Mark 8 through to Mark 41. So there's there's like 30 suits on screen at one point, and they've all got, you know, different features. But that sort of foreshadows what happens in Age of Ultron, where he builds a legion of automated robots, which goes really badly, as basically everything Tony Stark does, does in these films. Well,
1: we'll probably talk in a minute about what Extremis actually involves, but I just want to make a quick point about... Now, Guy Pearce, I think, is a tremendous actor. I yes. don't even in Neighbours, he really stood out as somebody who could act rather than just deliver the lines and look pretty at the camera and he's being great in so many things but in this, I feel he is basically just Guy Pearce playing a Guy Pearce villain. Yeah, pretty much. It's not much to the character. I mean, he himself has commented on that, that if you look, he's not actually in that much of the film himself.
0: In a way, that's by design, because you're not supposed to think of him as the villain until he's properly no. revealed as the villain. You know there's something up with him, and you think he's working for the Mandarin, and then it's flipped around to be, you know, he found a drunkard on his up as actor called Trevor Slattery, played excellently by Ben Kingsley and and then just got him to act the part of the Mandarin which I think it's very generous when at some point someone describes his voice as being like a, a southern preacher it's like, no it doesn't, it sounds like a British person doing a bad American accent I think Ben Kingsley's great but his American accent in this is terrible I think
1: it sounds like Russell Brown, to be honest Yeah,
0: it's really not good at all but yeah, it's yeah, still it's still a, it's still a uh, an excellent performance, especially when he's being Trevor Slattery rather than being the mandarin <laughs> there's some other hidden villains in this because
1: there's a few characters that they've reused as well before i go into this you better explain what extremis is i think because we've not even mentioned that yet there's so
0: much going on okay so extremis is a it's a process rather than like a drug or anything like that that grants people the ability to heal lost limbs and most injuries in general ridiculous speed and strength the ability to breathe fire but with with the risk that you might explode if you cannot properly regulate your temperature. Temperature? Temper. That's the word.
1: Well, that allowed quite a few unlikely hench people to be used in kind of a reworked form. And characters that wouldn't have got in it normally, I think. Because Eric Sabin, who's the main kind of second tier bad guy. Yeah, yeah, In the comics, he was cold blood. Okay. Was basically kind of like a prototype Bucky Barnes. And obviously, Bucky is about to appear in the films. They would not have used, you know, a guy with a cybernetic arm. But they can use him kind of cyberneticized in a sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. In this
1: way. There's also Jack Taggart, who was firepower, who obviously is the one that blasts all all the fire out. I think at some point he had a kind of Iron Man-ish suit in the comic. And, you know, you've already got Iron Man and Iron Patriot stroke war machine in this. So (laughs) there wouldn't have been room for him otherwise. But again, they've used that as a a route to get him in. And they've also got Alan Brandt, who I think was an antagonist of Man-Thing. Who half her face was burnt off. Okay. And they kind of represent that in this, but she appear she's the one in that really, really cool fight scene in the bar.
0: Oh yeah, no, that's good that one. Can we jump a bit over to the extremist story over the comic now that we're talking about extremists itself? Because it's sort of the same, but also sort of not. I think it's worth sort of looking at what the differences are a bit. So in the comic, it's still Maya Hansen, who's in, in the film who kind of created it. Aldrich Killian is someone that was her boss on. On this project who is in one page of the comic and shoots himself in the head at the end of that page he is barely in the story at all and he is nobody so it's weird that they picked that name up to use it for this because he, he's genuinely not in it at all and Extremes kind of does the same sort of thing so it, it rewires the brain's repair centre so the idea is that you, that your brain has a blueprint of what your body is supposed to be like in it so that if you get a cut it heals the cut if you, you know whatever so this like overclocks it and also gives a slightly different blueprint so you get extra organs to do things like heal faster, superhuman strength and speed and breathing fire. It does not have anything whatsoever that causes you to explode. There are no downsides to (laughs) Extremis at all in the comic. It is just a thing that makes superhumans. The main thrust of the comic is that what Tony Stark has been doing has been building better and better and faster and faster suits. He can't beat this This is a person that doesn't have to like control anything. They literally just punch him harder than he can deal with and move faster than he can fly the suit around and all that sort of stuff. So he ends up modifying extremists, taking it himself so he can integrate more with his suit and then kills the domestic terrorist that's been injected with it. And it later turns out that Maya Hansen was the one that gave it to the terrorist as like a field trial for extremists because her funding had been cut. So, yay. Still, everyone's a bad guy. (laughs) It's interesting that they played this as this is someone making a power play for like America in general. In the comic, the bad guy is a white supremacist (laughs) terrorist. Who has got hold of it so that someone can prove a point rather than for any sort of idea? He's got an ideological reason. Maya Hansen did not have an idea. Well, she did. She wanted the funding so that she could use it to do something better, but it was very ends justify the means sort of stuff. The comic is a bit more talking about what technology is like. You know, how do we progress forward from just building better machines? The film is not like that. <laughs> the film is very much, it's entirely about Tony Stark's. I'm not going to say road to redemption because he still messes everything up again after this, but it's fixing himself after becoming terrified of everything following the, is it the, do they refer to us as the battle for New York in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I think that's the events of Avengers, isn't it? It's him dealing with that, which, you know, fair enough he's a playboy scientist and he nearly died throwing a nuclear weapon through a space portal. (laughs) So, yeah, okay, you're you're allowed to take some time to address that. That's fine. Well, you are, but the real... Just there's
1: too much going on. I mean, no, there is, yeah. think of a lot goes on in the first Guardians of the Galaxy film, but it's basically they've all been asked to get one of the Infinity Stones for different reasons, yeah. and run up against each <laughs> other, something like that. Or you know, the first Spider-Man film is that somebody is selling modified weapons, maybe with alien tech, and Spider-Man tries to stop them. But this is just so many things at once, and I think there's so much irony in. Joan Rivers has a cameo, yeah, talking about Iron Patriot, and says they've called it. I am Patriot just in case you thought the paint was too subtle. I was like, Have you seen this film? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is... When I think of Shane Black, I think of Predator, and unfortunately, now, The Predator. No, don't think of The Predator. No, I try not to. Uh, was The Last Boy Scout one of his? It was, yeah. Last yeah. Hero. Yeah. The
1: Monster Squad, which I completely forgot about.
0: Lethal Weapon, I think, as well. Yeah. So, there's some bits, like, towards the end, where Tony and, and Roddy have no suits. Uh, they've got one gun each, and one magazine each. And the back and forth between them is... I'm sure some of it was improvised because it's Robert Downey Jr. But it's very, very Shane Black, that whole section of it. It is all back and forth and banter and bouncing off each other and being obnoxious to each other while clearly being good friends. and that sort. There's some very, very, very Shane Black stuff in this. And I like it, but it doesn't necessarily sit with all the other stuff in the film. <laughs>
1: no, although it does give us the one truly outstanding sequence of this, which is... This- Just tops everything else in the film for over the topness. Everyone got sucked out of Air Force One. Yes. Tony Stark has to rescue them in the Iron Man costume, and it's thrilling. Even though you know he's going to get them all, Mm. it really is edge of the seat stuff. Yeah. And he's making jokes throughout it, and then after he's dropped them all safely into the water, (laughs) he's immediately hit by a train. And for a second, just for a second, you think, "Uh oh!" And then you find out he's actually controlling one of the suits by remote control. Yeah. That whole sequence, I love though. It's so well done. Yeah. The timing of that shock is absolutely no perfect.
0: There's a lot of good timing in the actiony bits certainly. There's the bit where he's trying to fight Killian without a suit on and then sort of runs away from him. By the way first of all he puts the suit on Killian and then detonates it. That's a good bit. But there's all, oh, is that first of all or is that later? I can't even remember the sequence of this because there's so many things <laughs> happening. There's a bit where he's running away from him and he's shouting at Jarvis to give him a suit and every time he's about to get one it gets knocked out of the way or it gets blown up just as it gets to him. Does someone
1: hit him in the side of the head? Yes.
0: <laughs> there's a lot of stuff like that going on. And there's a bit back to the Shane Blackisms where, where where he's tied up in the Mandarin's lair and he's waiting for like his suit to arrive and he thinks he's calculated the flight time properly and he just keeps going and now and yeah. now <laughs> while the two guards are like yeah no I'm, I'm really concerned. <laughs> there's so many people in this. There's so many sort of like really good character actors in this that we've not even got to yet. You've got William Sadler as the president. I know he's been the president before and I don't know to most people he's, he's death from Bill and Ted's bogus journey or the guy in Die Hard 2 whose name I've forgotten because no one can remember anyone's name in Die Hard 2. You've got Miguel Ferrer in one of his last film roles as the vice president who's evil double crosser um there's a cast of news anchors playing themselves and bloody bill maher of all people who can get in the bin sorry if you're a fan of bill maher whoever you are. Yeah. There's loads of people in this that are really good. Stan Lee's cameo is very brief, but still entertaining. I'm going to point towards somebody who we've barely even touched on, but
1: deals with the climax of the film so well, which is Gwyneth Paltrow, because Pepper's basically been sidelined and not treated very well for the whole film. Yeah. And it kind of looks though she's about to be rescued from an old school Hollywood damsel in distress thing, because Killian's basically in effect because he can't have her, he's going to kill her. Yeah. She, basically thinks i'm not having this having been affected by the extremist herself basically just beats
0: him to death pretty much i mean to be let's be fair you think she's dead at one point because yeah. she falls 200 feet into some fire and yes. then then she just shows up again and starts hitting him with a with a stick if i remember correctly <laughs>
1: It's quite a big and
0: heavy. Spin. Absolutely, <laughs> but yeah. And then it, it was kind of disappointing that Tony's like, "Yeah, no, no, we'll we'll cure you of that." It's like, "Yeah, her of being amazing." Good work, man.
1: <laughs> and then later, of course, she becomes a rescue, but they don't really tell anyone. And when she shows up in Endgame game, everyone's thinking, "Who's, Who's that?" In that other yeah. Iron Man suit.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, then you've got you've got that brief hint where it's like, oh, "I'm making her a suit." Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's
1: forgotten that three hours
0: later. No, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> this has, to be fair to it, this has one of my favourite posts credit scenes from Marvel film yes! because it doesn't lead into anything <laughs> it literally just turns out that Tony's been telling this story to Bruce Banner who fell asleep at the start of it and that's it that's all it is <laughs> it's, it's, it's oh, one thing you
1: won't do during this film it's fall asleep no because <laughs> it's just going off in so many other directions at the same
0: time yeah, there's there's so much going on his little speech at the end is good as well it's, it's fairly sort of character defining but it's the Bruce Banner thing because they knew they We'ren't going to do any more
1: Hulk solo films. And thought, hang on, before the next Avengers film, we better remind people they exist.
0: I mean, what's the what's the time delay? What th- what else was there? So you had Avengers, then you had this Thor: The Dark World. Oh uh, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy one. That was before Age of Ultron.
1: Yes. Wow.
0: I think Ant Man was
1: after it. Oh, and there's also Captain America: The Winter Soldier as well. Oh, of course there yeah, is. Of course the there films is. That the Hulk isn't in. And, uh, to, uh, no, no, actually, no. Nobody's going to have forgotten who the Hulk is by the next Avengers.
0: No but they they might have forgotten that it's Mark Ruffalo. They might have forgotten that, but yeah, also yeah. putting this at the very end of the film, two years before it, probably not the best way of keeping people, keep people reminded. <laughs> I don't know. It, maybe this is supposed to be like when they're working on the Ultron stuff. Maybe that's when this is this storytelling is supposed to be happening. I don't know.
1: Well, somewhere out there, somebody has done a massive timeline of everything that happens. Right. It's not looking of current order. Literally, the extent of those three episodes of Daredevil go there, Ooh. and then although it's unrelated to Guardians of the Galaxy, then the next episode of Daredevil, it's like that. So somewhere, that post credit scene will be in it, but I don't know if I can go through that.
0: Wait, does that mean that it'll have, like, the bit from Civil War where it's the hologram of Tony talking to his parents in the hologram kitchen they're going to go well that happened here when Tony was yeah. 18 to... oh goodness sake it's to
1: that extent yes
0: there's yeah. no need no it need
1: separates the Jessica Jones episode I want your cray cray which I think is set in the late 90s that appears to... <laughs>
0: I'm not on board with this. I'm not on board with this. That's like, I, I once wondered if if they would ever do a DVD release of Lost where they put it into chronological order.
1: Okay, well, before we say any more about Lost, there's only one thing left for me to ask. Phil, if you had the ability to interrupt all world broadcast media on demand, what would you use it for?
0: I would show the bit of that episode of the horror of Fang Rock that was disrupted by Max Headroom. <laughs> because I could.
1: You can't say fairer than that. Phil, thank you and
0: excelsior. Thank you very much.
1: If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of The Good Accepted Sucks, along with details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.